friends for joining us on the diary of an arcade employee podcast once again as promised due to the lateness of that street fighter 2 podcast here is the second episode for this month the subject for our show today is one of those games i first encountered at that magical showbiz pizza of my youth sega's 1983 arcade isometric platformer congo bongo Many fans of the golden age of arcades believe Congo Bongo was Sega's attempt to muscle in on a bit of the quarter action being generated by Nintendo's Donkey Kong from 1981. It's easy to see why. They do have some striking similarities, with each game having a mischievous ape and a character that must jump over and climb and generally dodge foes. Sega is credited for producing and developing Congo Bongo, but it's very much believed that the company Ikigami Sushinki is the one responsible for the development and programming. For one thing, the ROM in the game has a message giving credit to the Ikigami Sushinki company. So, in the very least, you could say they had a hand in its development. Ikigami Sushinki is responsible for quite a few arcade classics, including Nintendo's Radar Scope, Donkey Kong, Popeye, Sheriff, Space Fever, Space Firebird, as well as Zaxxon for Sega. I believe I might have mentioned this on the Zaxxon podcast, but Ikigami Sushinki actually sued Nintendo for using their programming from Donkey Kong on the 1982 Donkey Kong Jr. title. It wasn't until 1989 that they won the court case, which was settled between the two companies in 1990 for an undisclosed amount. But considering the work that Ikigami Sushinki did on Donkey Kong and Popeye, I'm willing to bet it was a nice sum. Now, sadly, while Sega had hopes for capturing a bit of that Donkey Kong fan base, the game just failed to capture an audience. It probably had something to do with the fact that, like 1982's Zaxxon, Congo Bongo was also an isometric game. Which, while the rotated top-down view of the game certainly makes it look more three-dimensional than the gameplay of Donkey Kong, it also means it's a bit tougher to do things like land a jump on a narrow path or avoid, say, a charging rhino. Thanks to a short opening cinematic, players learn that the point of the game is to help an unnamed jungle explorer in the Congo get revenge for a prank by an ape named Bongo. Of course, that prank involved carrying a torch into the adventurer's camp and setting his tent on fire while he was sleeping in it. So you can totally understand where the explorer is coming from. Although, back in the day, when I first played the game, I will admit I would cackle loudly at that intro screen. Anyway, Congo Bongo tasks one to two players taking alternate turns with guiding a jungle explorer. Possessing a bulbous red nose and dressed in khaki shorts and shirt with a pith helmet in his attempt to gain revenge on Bongo. 
This is accomplished with the aid of a four-way joystick, allowing the player to move up to the left and right and down in those directions as well. It's a little like the control scheme for Gottlieb's 1982 hit, Q-Bert. Players also have a jump button, which is necessary to avoid the pitfalls and the numerous enemies that will confront you. Sadly, the adventurer has no weapon to defend himself. If he comes into contact with most enemies, the player will lose a life. Although, there are a few exceptions, like when you must travel across the backs of hippos and even piranhas. I will get into more detail of all that as I discuss the individual stages. There are four stages or levels that a player must guide the adventurer through to finally catch up to Bongo the Ape. First up is Primate Peak. On each stage, the explorer will be placed in the lower left corner and must make their way to the upper right hand of the screen to chase after Bongo. This is done by climbing multiple ledges of a mountain and would be made easier in this stage if Bongo wasn't so gleefully hurling coconuts down at you from his perch on high. The ape has an endless supply of coconuts, I might add. The player must judge when the time is right to start their ascent, as the coconuts, while they will generally bounce down in a straight line, can sometimes hit the bridge the player must cross, often bouncing right into you and costing you a life. In my youth when playing the game, I pretty much hugged the far left of the screen of the mountain wall. Although, I've seen skilled players at the Arcadia Retrocade actually just jump up to the next ledge instead of climbing it. Be warned though, if you miss, you will bounce back off the wall below that ledge and fall down a level, which might end up costing a player a life or at the very least force you to dodge coconuts to get back up. Once a player reaches the middle of the screen on Primate Peak, they have to cross that bridge I just mentioned. After crossing it, you will slide down a short ramp. And at least for the very first level, your descent will be stopped by a green monkey who isn't paying attention as you slam into him and knock him off the mountain. The later levels, when you revisit this stage, that monkey's no longer there. And if you aren't careful, you will slide off the mountain yourself. A player will have to actively push up towards that ramp when they're sliding to avoid that fate. Besides the coconuts, the player must be wary of the monkeys present on the first stage. After hopping over a gap by a waterfall, the cliff ledge you were just on collapses. Meaning there's no going back. This is where you will encounter a pack of monkeys, who want nothing more than to jump on the explorer and slow him down. They won't cost you a life if the player is quick enough to shake them off by jumping up and down repeatedly. However, if three monkeys jump on the adventurer, they will carry him to the edge of the cliff and toss him down to his doom. That green monkey I just mentioned, by the way, once you revisit Primate Peak in later stages, will be found lower down the mountain, and this time will jump on the player and yank them off ledges, costing you precious time as you try to climb back up. After dealing with that pack of monkeys and a quick hop over a stream, which, if you land in the water, you lose a life. And while still avoiding coconuts in the process, you can time your climb up to Bongo and chase him off. And collect the remaining time on the clock as bonus points and move on to the next stage. I think a good strategy at this point is what I did as a kid. Hug that left cliff face wall until you see your opening. Level 2 is called ugh, Snake Lake. In this stage, a player won't have to worry about climbing anything, 
But right out of the gate, two scorpions will start to make their way towards the player. They are basically there to make sure the player is forced to quickly move to the next area of the screen. A collection of islands connected by very, very small pathways. Three islands are within jumping distance of the adventurer as the stage begins. Although those scorpions, especially in later levels, won't give you much time to decide where to head. The middle island is the easiest to reach and also the largest. But once a player lands on one of those islands, they will quickly find out why it's called Snake Lake, because snakes start heading towards them. When near the explorer, these blue-hued foes will slide forward at a deadly pace. The snakes that might be on another island will attempt to get to the explorer by crossing those thin pathways, which usually means the player, while traveling, must attempt to jump over them on the already too easy to slip off path, or find a smaller island with a free path, costing you precious bonus time. If a player slips off the pathway, or walks off an island, or even jumps poorly and lands in the water, of course they lose a life. In later levels, a red snake will appear on that middle island, and while the blue versions are more than happy to give chase, it will stay there to constantly threaten the player. Also, in the higher levels of Snake Lake, there will be many, many more snakes to contend with. Without a doubt, I think this is the most difficult level, even for the first time around. Just a little above that large island is a center island, and from here, a player can attempt to leap onto the back of a passing hippo. As I mentioned earlier, this won't cost the player a life, unless the hippo decides to dunk underwater. From the back of that hippo, you can time your jump to reach Bongo, and force him to run away yet again, and progressing to the next stage. Stage 3 is called Rhino Ridge, for obvious reasons. It is populated by some rather perturbed rhinos who are upset you were in their land. Like the monkeys and snakes, there are two different breeds of rhino. Those with yellow horns are greater in number and will travel willy-nilly across the screen, costing the player a life all the same if they make contact while charging or even as they put on the brakes of a charge and continue to slide forward just a little. The same rules apply for the red-horned rhinos, except in their case, there will only ever be two of them and they will make a point of charging the explorer. They seek him out. Not all hope is lost though, as dotted across the stage are open holes or pits. Some are filled with water and they will of course cost a player a life. The dry holes, however, offer the explorer protection from a charging rhino if the player is quick enough to climb down into one and press the jump button, which causes the adventurer to duck down and not get trampled by said charging rhino. There is another creature in Rhino Ridge that can cause the player all manner of grief, and that is the mole. Showing up from time to time, the creature takes in the scene and then ducks back down. But as it does so, it will fill in a previously empty hole, cutting off one more avenue of safety for the player. To be fair, the mole can also open up a pit it had previously filled in, too. If you are taking shelter in a pit that the mole decides to appear in, you will be ejected out. Generally, well, at least in my case, when a red-horned rhino has decided to charge you. It is possible to jump over a rhino, by the way, but that isn't exactly easy. It takes split-second timing. Bongo watches your progress from atop a small ledge. While you can climb it, this will generally leave you open to getting hit by a charging rhino. 
Like I mentioned when describing Primate Peak, you can jump and land on that ledge, if you're lucky. But if you misjudge that leap, you will bounce off the wall and be placed in reach of the angry rhinos. Once you get within reach of Bongo, once more, he will run away, allowing you to reach the fourth and final stage. The fourth level is called Lazy Lagoon. But don't let the name fool you, there is nothing calm about the perils you must prevail. While in truth there are no enemies seeking you out, heck, even Bongo up on his ledge at the top of the screen is peacefully dozing in a chair next to a campfire. Starting in the lower left-hand side of the screen, players must guide the adventurer by leaping from a riverbank to various floating objects and beasts. These include lily pads, hippos, and piranha, though I personally think those look more like koi fish. Those lily pads are generally safer to jump on. They do not dip underwater as much as the hippos, but their movement is somewhat erratic. A player can certainly find themselves jumping to a pad to find it has moved ever so slightly, and then they wind up in the drink. Sadly, the lily pads will not carry you all the way across the water to Bongo, meaning you have to at some point take a ride on a hippo's back, like in the second stage. Except that in this level, if they are going to make contact with a passing piranha, as they happily carry you in the direction of the slumbering bongo, they will dive underwater, costing the player alive. You can normally see this coming, though, and jump onto one of the three rocky outcroppings in the middle of the stage. From one of these dry places of land, you either try to jump back to the hippo after it re-emerges from the water, or attempt to land on the backs of those red-colored piranhas. While those beasts won't dunk you in the water, they will sometimes decide to get a taste of the adventurer. Briefly, they flash a lighter-hued red, kind of an orange, before they open their mouths wide and reveal those sharp teeth, and costing a player a life, of course. There are two rows of piranhas to jump across, and they swim back and forth from one side of the screen to the other. Finally, reaching the bank, you must contend with rhinos once again. Except, unlike in the third stage, these come in sets of two, and are always timed. They just charge from the bottom right side of the screen to the left. It's much easier to get their timing and leap over them, although of course they do speed up in later levels. Climbing up the ledge to where Bongo is sleeping, you will see the explorer pick up a burning log and set fire to the ape's chair. finally delivering some payback for what Bongo put into motion. The player is then rewarded with a screen that reads, Congratulations! Very good! Before the four stages repeat themselves, but at higher difficulties and with increased enemies. The scoring for Congo Bongo is pretty simple. For each step the explorer takes, the player receives 10 points. Jumping over that chasm that appears in stage 1 will get you 500 points. Completing the first stage earns you 5,000 points, plus, of course, whatever bonus points you earned on the timer. That rule applies to all stages. Finishing the second stage gets you 6,000 points. And for every lily pad, piranha, or hippo you jump on, that will get you 50 points. Plus an extra 50 points times the level you were on when you jump off. When you complete stage 3, you will get 7,000 points as well as 1,000 points for every time you successfully duck into a pit to avoid those rhinos. The fourth stage gets you 8,000 points. And after completing the fifth stage, in every stage past that, you will always get 9,000 points for finishing a level. 
The world record holder for Congo Bongo, according to Twin Galaxies, is Jason Cram, with a total of 1,506,300 points, and was set on July 21, 2003. Jason toppled the long-held high score of 883,400 points by Tim Collum, which was achieved back on September 3, 1983. Here at the Arcadia Retrocade, the high score is held by none other than John Munkus, one of our lead techs, with a score of 163,660 points. Which, by the way, means if he can accomplish that on video and get verification by a Twin Galaxies referee, he will secure the 10th highest world record score. And now, these messages. Say, a funny thing happened when I started to play Congo Bongo. Hey, these nuts are crazy. Who are these guys? Hey, fellas, let's not get carried away. Oh, no! Maybe I'll go for a swim. On second thought, maybe I'll go for a walk. Hey, lady, this is a one-way street. Hey, that's the guy I've been looking for. Congo Bongo from Sega. It lasts a long, long time. <laughs> Until now, if you wanted real arcade games, you had to go to the arcades. Now you don't. Hey, yo, five bucks. Sega Genesis has changed all that with games that look, play, and sound like the real arcade games because they are the real arcade games from Sega, the masters of arcade entertainment. Now you can play Golden Axe, today's blockbuster arcade hit at home with two new levels not even in the arcade game plus the hottest library of real arcade hits. That's city. But only if you own Genesis from Sega, we bring the arcade experience home. While I did love the ad, I have to wonder why Sega decided legendary comedian Hitty Youngman would be the best spokesman for their home port. You know what I mean? Now here he is, your friend and his, Henny Youngman. Oh, that Henny Youngman. <laughs> Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. I'm so happy to be here tonight, even at this salary. So I'd like to talk about my brother-in-law. I got a brother-in-law who's a karate expert. Joined the army. First time he saluted, he killed himself. <laughs> now, just before I jump into talking about those home ports, I found an interesting bit of trivia. In Europe, Congo Bongo is known as Tip Top. The soundboards in the Congo Bongo arcade cabinets here in the States not only are printed with the Sega name, but have Tip Top printed on them as well. The game was not only offered in the standard upright cabinet, but could be purchased in the cocktail cabinet form. And I want to go ahead and apologize as I couldn't find absolutely positive information on this, but I've heard rumors that the game was made available as a conversion kit for arcade owners who wanted to switch out their Zaxons for the newer game. But please take that with a grain of salt. As many other classic gaming sites agree on, while Congo Bongo didn't become a runaway success in the arcades on its release, it still managed to be ported to nearly every popular gaming system of the day, like the Apple II, the Atari 2600, although for that port, only stages 1 and 4 are present. The first stage keeps an isometric appearance, by the way. Congo Bongo also showed up on the Atari 5200 and Atari computers. The ColecoVision, which, unsurprisingly, looks the best. The Commodore 64 and VIC-20. 
Sorry, let me pause for a minute. I know I don't normally share reviews from back in the day, but I kind of felt like I needed to for this 1984 issue of Ahoy! magazine. For the ports to the VIC-20 and C64, the reviewers stated the game, quote, is fraught with problems, gameplay is repetitive, frustrating, tedious, inconsistent, and at times confusing. And the music not only got on my nerves, but stomped on them. Plus, the whole thing is derivative. Also in 1984, the readers of Softline, which was for fans of the Apple II computer, voted Congo Bongo as the worst Atari software released in 1983. That's pretty harsh. The Intellivision released a port, and like the Atari 2600, only had two stages. The MSX received the game, as well as PC, the Sega SG-1000, the TI-99, and in 2005, the Sony PlayStation 2 got an updated version of Congo Bongo on the collection Sega Ages Volume 23. This was, however, only made available in Japan. Here at the arcade, Shea picked up Congo Bongo a couple of months after the doors were first open. While it is a game that is frequently played, like I mentioned earlier in the show, the difficulty, like back in the day, seems to drive the players away. It is by no means the least played of the 130 plus games we have. That probably goes to Atari's Skull and Crossbones from 1987. And I think that about wraps up our podcast for this go around. Thank you for listening to the Diary of an Arcade Employee podcast. By the way, we do have a Facebook page now. So if you haven't done so, if you can hop on over there and give us a like, it's a great spot to share your own arcade memories and enjoy the celebration of arcade and home video games. Our ending theme, which is entitled River Raid, was composed by the talented Tony Longworth. You can listen to even more of his music on SoundCloud and on his official site, which you can reach at www.tonylongworth.com. If you have any feedback for the show or perhaps a suggestion for a game to cover in the future, you can reach me at VicSage at RetroWist.com. Please remember, the podcast is available on iTunes. And if you like the show, maybe you can jump on over there and give us a positive rating and review. It certainly helps to get the word out to new listeners. For further information about the Arcadia Retrocade, please make sure to follow them over on their Facebook page. I will be sure to provide a link on the Retroist post for the show. Of course, I need to give a huge thanks to the Retroist. When you need your daily retro fix, and hey, we all do, why not visit the Retroist site at www.retroist.com. Have a token on me as we listen to a clip for the game I will discuss on the next show. has been a Retroist production. Goodbye, and we hope to see you next time. End of line.